0: This program is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. For more shows like this, visit our website at CosmicPotato.com. In a world without a single unified voice, humanity has been left searching for answers to the unknown. Now, one podcast has the power to change that and to spread its voice across the earth for all mankind to hear. Welcome to Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast.
1: We interrupt this program to annoy you and make things generally irritating. <laughs>
2: Change, filthy hey everybody and welcome to the biggest crossover event ever. You thought Captain America Civil War was good, you liked Heroes versus Aliens. Tonight we have Cosmic Potato, the super fan talk podcast, crossing over with the Millennial Falcon podcast. My name is Sean Ray, the host of Cosmic Potato, and sitting across the virtual table from me is John Irons. Say hi, John.
0: I feel like you may have oversold it.
2: <laughs> and uh, and we're joined by the hosts of a pop culture podcast hosted by three geeky millennials, Haichan Bui, the, the, uh, a, a USA Today contributor and pop culture journalist who is no stranger to the Cosmic Potato family. How are you doing, HT?
1: I'm good, and I'm actually no longer a USA Today contributor, so you can scratch that. Okay. Um, <laughs> although... <laughs> Big news, I just got hired by Slash Film to uh, be their morning news reporter, so...
2: Oh, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Pretty impressive.
1: <laughs> Thank you, guys.
2: And that is the voice of one of her cohorts, Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. How you doing, Willoughby? Good. How are you guys? I'm glad to be here. And I said three geeky millennials, but Anya couldn't join us tonight, so... Uh, she's a she's away on assignment (laughs) so uh we're gonna combine uh shows and combine formats tonight first and foremost i want uh each of the shows to kind of introduce themselves to the other audience because the show is going up on both feeds so uh i'll start with you guys uh hi chan why don't you tell us a little bit about the millennial falcon
1: Uh, So you gave a brief intro before. The Millennial Falcon is a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. So we were all born in 92. um, And uh, we are definitely kids of the 90s. We don't really have a big... Well, I would say we have a big pop culture knowledge of decades before us. But we specialize in the 90s to now. Um, And, um, yeah, we talk about superheroes. We talk about... TV, movies, books, uh, video games, mostly pertaining to Pokemon. Um, Willoughby, what do you think? Anything else that I'm missing?
3: Um, We've done our fair share of period pieces and musicals and um, other things that I'm not really knowledgeable on, but Anya and HTR, Mm -hmm. um, as well as plenty of uh, great little things that that we talk about that's whatever's in the news. Like last week uh, was our Oscars episode.
1: Yeah, so we just kind of give, talk about everything from a millennial perspective. Um, yeah, as you can tell, uh, we are a big Star Wars fans as well because uh, our name is a play off of the Millennium Falcon. Sometimes <laughs> I accidentally call the Millennium Falcon the Millennial Falcon now just because it's become such a force of habit for me. <laughs> and honestly,
3: I was sold on the show when HT proposed the title. I was like, sure, I don't even know what it is, but I'm down with it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And uh, for those of you that normally listen to the Millennial Falcon, I'll tell you a little bit about uh, Cosmic Potato. We're, we're pretty much a podcast for people who like geeky stuff, especially movies. Uh, John and I are fans of movies of all kinds, and we talk about many, many aspects of cinema. Uh, but we're also a couple of nerds who love sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and everything in between. So we might do a show where we talk about our favorite terrible movies or actually high chain was on that show. Um, <laughs> or we might talk about who would win in the fight between the 10 man and data, you know? So, uh, John, yeah, you, you, you want to add to that?
0: I, I think we picked data.
2: Yeah. I'm pretty sure. We, well, yeah. <laughs> Cause I mean, it's data. We're star Trek fans. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, yeah,
0: I, yeah, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um,
2: thanks thanks john (laughs) we're gonna do versions of some of the segments that both shows do on a regular basis and we're gonna start with a segment that we always do called three random facts and this is the segment where we all get a little bit smarter whether we like it or not go to the random fact generator provided by our friends over at MentalFloss.com, and i read three random and mostly useless pieces of information so are you guys ready for three random facts
3: Hell fucking I am. I
2: okay. Number one, in 1998, a Georgia student was suspended for wearing a Pepsi shirt to Coke in Education Day.
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
2: Number two, in South Africa, prior to 1985, it was illegal for individuals of European ancestry and non-European ancestry to marry one another.
0: Oof. Knew that. I think I knew that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and number three... The gestation period of some species of possum is less than two weeks. I actually
0: do that, too. Don't ask. Don't ask. That.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're better off not knowing. But Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we have a couple of different topics that we're going to discuss on this episode. First, we're going to do a generational movie pick. And the reason for that is that John and I are both around the 40-year mark and uh, H.T. and Willoughby both said, that, you know, they were born in 92. So, uh, obviously, we grew up in with a different set of movies to pick from as the ones that we thought were important to our, our generation. So, I thought it would be fun if we all named off three movies that we think are essential if members of another generation want to understand where we come from. So,
1: so Sean, okay. would you say this is like 80s kids versus 90s kids?
2: Pretty much. Because, yeah... Mm. I, Uh, Because most of my most of my movie knowledge, I mean, I I love movies that came out before I was born, but you know, most of my movie knowledge started in the '80s. John, were you going to disagree with that?
0: No, um, I was going to say that I think I (laughs) I misunderstood the assignment. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I did I did pick things like um, uh, you know to suggest. To our, our our younger cohorts for that they may not have seen, but yeah. I only one of mine is a movie, two of mine are shows.
2: Oh, that no, that that's fine. Yeah, TV's fine too. I I, I say movies a lot on the show, but movies and television are pretty equally important to me. So, <laughs> so uh, so yeah, yeah. You can do you can do television as well. That's fine. So, so okay. Let's start with Willoughby.
3: Yes. Go so... ahead with your first one. Uh, I'll just run down my list. Uh, the first, the three that I've picked that I think are most essential to, be, I guess, knowing what a millennial likes in movies uh, are Shrek, um, the 2001 animated classic, mm-hmm. um, Mean Girls, the 2004 amazing, uh, comedy by Tina Fey, um, and the 2007 comedy by Seth Rogen and Adam Goldberg, um, or Evan. Colberg, I'm sorry. Um, don't know the other guy's name. Uh, super bad.
0: <laughs>
2: nice. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've I've seen I've seen all of them, so <laughs> I feel kind of good about that. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah okay. I got the feeling you'll have seen our movies and maybe not the other way around.
2: That may be that may be true. You've probably mm-hmm. I, actually you've probably seen mine. I don't know about John's, but go ahead, uh, Hi Chan, with your list.
1: Okay. So my movies are, that I think is, are essential to the millennial, um, Harry Potter uh, and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, and Princess Mononoke. Nice.
0: I'm, I'm curious um, as to why you picked those particular movies um,
2: installments of those two trilogies yeah i was gonna ask what about the prisoner of azkaban is okay. more important than the others yeah
1: so prisoner of azkaban was the first film um was the only film directed by alfonso Cuarón, who directed uh children of men um and he was the one i think who brought the harry potter um series to a more mature and more Groundbreaking light, because before that, Chris Columbus kind of had had like you know the the burden of making of doing all the world building in the first two Harry Potter movies, and because of that, they're very um, close to the books and very kind of you know saturated with all like this beauty of like magic, but also a lot of exposition, and um, they felt more like adaptations and more like children's movies than just like an actual movie standing on its own. Uh, Whereas Prisoner of Azkaban, they um, cut out a lot of the book, but um, it's to the film's benefit greatly. And it really brings a darker mood and just like a really great form of, it's a really good storytelling. It's a really good narrative, I mean. Like Alfonso Cuaron brings his own spin to it. And I think it's the one, it's kind of what jumped started the whole YA movie craze that started after harry potter with like hunger games and stuff and i don't think that would have started if you only had like the first two harry potter movies to go on it would have been a very different sort of phenomenon going forward um and prisoner of azkaban is probably the best harry potter movie so i wanted to use that one as the representative for the harry potter franchise okay
2: all right cool i can see that mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh Lord of the Rings, you like the first Lord of the Rings better than the other two
1: um well, I liked the first I actually probably my favorite Lord of the Rings would probably be Return of the King. I know a lot of people there are a lot of fans for two towers, but I am personally not a huge battle scene fan like it after a while it turns into kind of fighty fighty kick punch to me, and I admire Two Towers for what it does and I actually watched this really great video by Nerdwriter who is like this video essayist guy on YouTube about how Two Towers was is like this great condensation of what a narrative arc would be like every point in the 40-minute battle scene actually has like the whole um, build of a climax and like, you know obstacles and stuff like that. Um, so I admire that but it's not my kind of movie. Yeah. I think Fellowship does a really good job of setting up this whole world and it's one of the most beautiful pieces of world building and exposition that doesn't seem clunky and doesn't seem like, you know, weighed down by having to tell this really big fantastical story. Um, so I think Fellowship is the most impressive and also like just the, I like the optimism that, it com- that comes with it too. like. Two towers and turn of the king, very dark, and yep. it's like h- kind of hard to go through them at some points. But fellowship at least kind of seems like a romp. It's just like oh, you know, they're going through the shire, they're having a lot of fun, they're <laughs> running through like hiding from the Wraiths or whatever the ring race. But you know, it's all in good fun until you know some. Boromir gets shot at the end. Spoilers, I guess, if you haven't seen Fellowship <laughs> of the Ring. It's
3: like a, it's like yeah, a sixteen-year-old
2: movie. It's like a buddy, yeah. a buddy road trip movie.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly, yeah. and I like that aspect. Um, okay. And yeah, so that's why I pick Fellowship of the Ring. And I think Lord of, the Rings, Lord of the Rings itself is also a big series that had a big hold in our generation. It, um, it was like one of the big fantasy epics that we had growing up. And was one of the pieces of conversation for like a lot of my friends um, for a long time. Like people were only talking about Lord of the Rings, or people were only talking about Harry Potter, or Mean Girls are super bad, like Willoughby was saying, or Shrek. <laughs> I had the <laughs> whole soundta- soundtrack to Shrek. Sh- sorry, soundtrack to Shrek. Um, I memorized that soundtrack. I was really into Counting Crows for a little bit. It was a little bit weird because <laughs> like I remember I had a um, a coworker who. Um, we were discussing like the soundtracks for a generation, and like a lot of people from Gen X were saying like, "Oh, Train Spotting was like the soundtrack for our generation," for example. And I was like, "You know what the soundtrack to our generation is? Shrek." <laughs> Heck yeah,
2: it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lord of the Rings was one of those movies. I mean, for you guys, it was uh, it w- it was a big movie uh, that was pretty much always there. But for us, every Fantasy and sci-fi fan had read those books and had waited for a good version of the movie <laughs> to come out for so long, and then we finally got it when when that came. All we had before that was the uh the Ralph uh, Bakshi animated film, which is you know good in its own right, but not not exactly what we wanted. Not, not really. I had
1: those movies too. Yeah, I actually I watched them before the Lord of the Rings live action. Yeah, uh, but yeah, look. The Peter Jackson ones are much better.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I think the Peter Jackson movies were almost like the Star Wars movies, like the Star Wars trilogy to our generation mm. that the prequels couldn't fill. Um, be, even though they came out around the same time, I feel like more people were concentrated on Lord of the Rings as older folks were f- focused on the original Star Wars trilogy in the 70s and 80s.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I get that. yeah. John, what about your list?
0: Um, okay. Um, I didn't necessarily pick like the defining films uh or T V shows as much as I picked um shows and movies uh, and a movie that I think you guys would enjoy, um and maybe has touches of the quote unquote millennial sensibilities mm-hmm. um but uh may not have seen. Right? All right, so my movie is Better Off Dead, yeah. starring a young, a young John Cusack. Have either of you guys ever seen that?
3: No. have not. I have heard
1: of it. Right, no. heard of it. Um, I've also seen the first episode of Better Off Ted. <laughs> That's what I immediately thought of, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: Um,
0: completely unrelated. <laughs> um, so uh, Better Off Dead was uh, written and directed by Savage Steve Holland, and it's like the plot is almost irrelevant because <clears throat> it's it's more about this kind of zany world that they inhabit. So basically, um, this high school guy gets dumped by his girlfriend and um, being a moody teenager, he decides to end his life. It doesn't sound like a comedy. I get that. <laughs> But it's 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 very it's actually hilarious. It's like if the Coen Brothers directed a John Hughes movie, not the not the True Grit Coen Brothers, the Raising Arizona,
2: right. brother
0: world Coen Brothers. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's from 1985, and it uh, it is adequately zany and nonsensical, and I think you uh, I think you guys would like it. Um, my and my two shows, one I've mentioned on the Cosmic Potato regularly, um, The Adventures of Briscoe County Junior, blessed one season mm-hmm. uh, from 93 uh, to 94. Uh, it takes place in the Wild West, just as it's about to be the turn of the century. Um, and it aired um, like in the 90s as it was approaching the turn of the century. So there were a lot of touchstone dialogue about, you know, how things, how things are going to there's going to be this big change and the coming thing. He's always looking for the coming thing. Um, so summary plot, um, Bruce Campbell is a bounty hunter. Um, basically Han Solo-ish, Han Solo Indiana Jones-ish kind of bounty hunter, um, who, while he's trying to track down the killers of his father, um, has continued mysterious encounters with a um, mm, mm, a golden orb that has um, fantastic properties.
1: Sounds like Dragon Ball.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to bring the millennial sensibility into it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there's only one of them. Well, technically there are three, but you don't know that at the beginning. Yeah. Um, And you don't know if it's magic you don't know if it's sci-fi um you just and and over the course of the and again it only lasted one season so they it's it's amazing how much they packed into it um but it was it was it's um it was it's really well done it's really really funny um and i um i cannot recommend it enough it's surprisingly hard to find though like it's not i don't i don't think it's on netflix or or hulu or even amazon but
2: it seems like there's some, it seems like there's a couple of episodes on YouTube, but I'm not, it, it seems like I looked for it at one time and I found not the whole series, but one or two episodes. Well,
0: you know what? I'll be happy to deliver it to you. I have the DVD, HT Willoughby. Hook me
1: up. Make me up. DVD? <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm old! <laughs>
0: 2001? I told you it was hard to find. I was I was actually annoyed that it took me like it's that it's not available because I'm like I have to I need a physical object. Are you kidding
3: me? <laughs> oh, trust me, I I tracked down three seasons of Batman Beyond on DVD over the course of like five years, going from like local FYE stores to Best Buys, and you know without realizing I could have just bought it on the internet probably, but I wanted I wanted the actual like hunt. Yeah. Of finding yeah. DVDs. Yeah. Yeah. Some, and, some uh,
2: people love the hunt. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: my my third pick, um, I I may have mentioned, but I don't think I've ever really talked about very much. This um, is uh, Babylon Five.
3: Oh, my dad watched that show. Yeah, <laughs> not and to I'm, say that you're no old. It, I'm it, I'm it's okay. just that he watched it. I didn't <laughs> watch it. No, it it was. I would
0: not have. Well, I mean, that's why it's on the list. I would not have expected you to watch it. It, it aired from ninety four to ninety eight, and it. You know, it's 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 deep. It's deep. So, uh, basically, uh, stop me if you've heard this one. Um, it takes place on a space station where all these aliens uh, <laughs> uh, come and interact and, and uh, you know, trade. Uh, the military has its purpose for the space station. And it turns out the leader of the space station is kind of a
3: messiah-like figure. Oh, my. Yeah. Okay. So... But enough about I mean, Deep Space Nine. Exactly.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> so the, the
0: creator of this show, uh, J. Michael Straczynski, um, shopped it around to various places before he got it made. And one of the places that he shopped it around to was Paramount, who passed on it, but, you know, not too long after. Like, hey, we've got this great idea. Yeah. So, yeah. So and, a-
2: and and actually, we're able to make it to air first. So people yeah. so people thought that Babylon 5 was ripping off Star Trek when in actuality Star Trek was kind of ripping off Babylon 5. <laughs> nah,
0: nah. So this this show was was groundbreaking in a lot of ways. Like it, it like he had uh, worked on sci-fi shows before and they always get canceled because you know they would run over budget and like they you know as we all know from sci-fi shows they run over budget and then know like, season 3 or 4 they started start meandering they don't really know where they're going. Yeah. So he wrote this as a five-year script. Like, he wrote a, like, an overall uh, continuous arc. And he put it on a space station so they wouldn't have to build a new planet every week. You know, they wouldn't have to, uh, you know, that would keep the cost down. It was also one of, if not the first show, to almost exclusively use, like, computer graphics mm-hmm. for their for their special effects. Mm. Um now to be sure those graphics do not hold up
3: because
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was the 90s it was I mean you know that's the cost of being groundbreaking your, your stuff doesn't look good 20 years later but uh, you know it does get props for, for, for paving for uh, paving that path um, also, two reasons I love it um, their aliens looked alien you know they didn't look like people in with with makeup. You know, like there were bug looking people and there were um you know, they looked like all kinds of different things.
1: And well, I kinda was... like people who look like aliens that look like people. It has Well, they
0: had aliens that look like people.
3: But <laughs> like what's going on with <laughs> Supergirl?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or like I don't, anything I don't, in buffy. Yeah.
0: I don't I'm not anti aliens that look like people, but if you're on a space station, there should be more than that. I I just feel like it's kind of uh humocentric, is that a word?
2: Ah.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh Um, it also featured it was the first time i had seen um the inference of a same-sex relationship with like a major character on the show um and like every now and then on the sci-fi show they would do it but it would always be well on this planet you know they have weird customs and that's just fine
1: Mm. but no
0: these were actually two humans uh who who expressed an interest in each other. Yeah. Spoiler, it doesn't work out, but you know, (laughs) they try. All right. That's my three. Okay.
2: All right. Well, my list is okay. Number one, absolutely I think that Stand By Me would have to be at the top of my list. Have either one of you guys seen that movie?
3: I love that movie. Been meaning to for years.
2: Okay. This is a movie that's about a bunch of kids and it's truly timeless. Um i'll I'll try to be brief about it it's a film based on a novella by stephen king called the body and it's about four friends that spend labor day weekend following a railroad track to a neighboring town because they heard that this kid got hit by a train and they want to see his dead body you know uh it was made in the 80s but it took place in 1959 but kids are essentially the same whenever they live you know some of the references to tv shows and stuff change but kids are pretty much the same you know um this movie is all about relationships with your friends and growing up and what happens when you feel yourself moving away from the friends that you've always known. It's funny and sad and scary and gross and, and (laughs) everything that I liked, you know, when I, when I was a kid and, and it has a cast of eighties who's who actors like, uh, Will Wheaton and River Phoenix and Corey Feldman, Jerry O'Connell, Kiefer Sutherland, John Cusack was in it for a brief, 30 second <laughs> scene and um, I truly truly love every frame of this movie and I think that if you want to get a sense of 80's films then Stand By Me has to be on your list um, number two I'm not sure how well this movie holds up because it's really been a long time since I've seen it Flight of the Navigator was a big part of my childhood <laughs> <laughs> It, it okay. ha- ha- John I know you've heard of it have you guys heard of this movie
1: I've yeah. never heard of this movie. Okay.
2: Oh, oh we'll be we Okay. Well, yeah. um, it, it really has a super complex story for what's supposed to be a kid's movie. But the plot is that this kid falls into a ravine and he gets knocked unconscious. And when he wakes up, it's, it's been four years and he's in the hospital. Then he gets kidnapped by this spaceship and it takes him across the galaxy. And the computer on the ship is a goofy character that does all these voices, kind of like the genie from Aladdin. And, uh, it, it ends up with a Wizard of Oz type uh, wrap-up where you're not sure if the stuff that happened to him really happened or if you dreamed the whole thing. You know, uh, It's got Paul Rubens as the voice of the computer, which is why the, the computer does a couple of Pee Wee Herman impressions. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Howard Hessman and Sarah Jessica Parker, and, and, and I recommend that one. And the last one on my list is a, another coming-of-age kind of movie. It was made in the 80s, but it was set in the 60s, and it's The Outsiders. Mm. and the the first time that I watched it I was forced to because I was at school and we had just read the book (laughs) but I felt I, like most of my class uh, fell in love with the movie so if your 7th grade teacher never made you read The Outsiders um, (laughs) it was a a book written by S.E. Hinton when she was about I think she was 16 years old when she wrote the book and it's about social classes and the poor kids versus the rich kids and gang violence and all that the movie barely changes anything from the book, but the characters just stick with you. And and again, it's a who's who uh, of actors. Like it had Tom Cruise, Matt Dillon, Ralph Macchio, Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, Diane Lane, Leif Garrett, Emilio Estevez, and C. Thomas Howell as Ponyboy Curtis. And I can't say enough good things about this movie because uh, it's uh, it's got a little bit of action some fights and whatnot, but the characters just stand out. And if you've ever read the book, they just seem to to just jump off the page and onto the screen. So, so the outsiders,
3: unfortunately I had friends who read the book and watched the movie for their, for their English classes in my middle school. But for some reason, my middle school English teacher did not teach us that version, that book at all. So um, but good to know that it's a great book and and good movie. I recommend
2: that I recommend everybody read that book at least once in your life. And it's only 120 pages long. It's not I mean it's a quick read. You could read it in one day. But uh, but yeah, definitely. Even if you if you don't get around to reading the book, that movie is is essentially 80s, even though it takes place in the 60s. So. I recommend. Well, I
3: mean, you've got the entirety of the Brat Pack there pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. And they they
2: they did, they did of course, you know, we did this a lot back in the day. We I, I guess we still do it now. They made it into a TV show. Uh today. Yeah. Did they? And there's yeah. a few episodes of that TV show on uh YouTube. And I'm trying to think of who all was in it. Some of the Of course, it was not, none of the people from the movie were in it. It was a completely new cast, but it seems like I think Billy Bob Thornton was in that that show
1: what
2: and uh, when was the show show? yeah the show was early 90s so okay so not long after
3: 90 91 something like that like when
1: they tried to make a ferris bueller tv show when jennifer aniston was in it
3: yeah (laughs) that was achingly bad and there was a fargo tv show before the fargo tv show
2: was there i know i know the one now you know it's one of my favorite shows but i didn't know there was another
3: one i think they attempted one of the in not long after the uh the original
2: movie. That sounds about right. You know, after after uh, after Star Trek: The Next Generation, kind of brought new life to uh, syndication. There was a lot of TV shows that cropped up for a few episodes and then disappeared, and and, and, and you you really can't find any of them anymore. But mm. a lot of people made took ideas from movies and turned them into TV shows and and stuff like that. But okay, so the second topic that we want to talk about. Uh, is game changers. So these are movies or TV shows that did something that changed the way other things were made in the future. And this was this was John's idea. So John, do you want to exp- expound upon it?
0: Um, no, I, that, that's that's pretty much it. There, there was a particular, um, uh, you know, what? I'll just I'll just go. I'll just start with my first one. Okay, go ahead. Um, well, and the the reason is because I, we you know we were talking about the um, the Marvel Universe, the expanded Marvel Universe, and you know how it was kind of the first um, franchise to really do that, and it wasn't because Game Changer, drum roll, The Matrix did it first. <laughs> the Matrix mm. totally did it first. Um, obviously, it came out with the movie, and it was you know groundbreaking in its own right. For a variety of reasons, which I don't have to go into. But the thing that it did that um, nothing else had really done before is that it jumped platforms. So there was uh, the Animatrix. There oh, was, I forgot oh, about yeah. that. Yeah, I oh, my it. gosh. There, there was a video game where you played Niobe, who was from um, um, uh, from the second film, Jada Pinkett Smith. Right. right. Yeah. And so this this whole idea of the world beyond just what's in the movies. And it's all interconnected. So things, you know, the movie would mention stuff that happened in the video game. And the video game would mention stuff that happened in the Animatrix. And the Animatrix would do stuff in the movies, obviously. And the movies would, like a character would escape in the Animatrix and he'd be in the sequel.
1: Hmm.
0: So, again, and, and on top of all the other ways that the Matrix was fantastic. Um, it did the whole expanded universe thing before anyone else did. Boom.
2: Yeah, I can. See oh, I'm that.
0: sorry, I have dropped the mic, but I need to pick it up <laughs> I'm going to hand it over to HT.
2: Yeah, Diego. let's let's do the let's do the one at a time thing, and we'll just kind of do one, go around the virtual circle, and then we'll we'll go around three times. So, okay. HT, go next.
1: So my first game changer is also. It's not an expanded universe, but it's um, a TV show, Lost. Uh, It came out in 2004, and it was actually the first TV show for me that, um, American TV show, that I was really interested and invested in week to week. And it kind of brought serialized storytelling to primetime television like before we had you know several cult shows like you know Buffy the Vampire Slayer or the X-Files um practicing some form of serialized storytelling but it was still in a sort of week-to-week monster of the week format um but Lost really brought forward that concept of like that cable had been practicing like HBO had um been doing for a while of just like a story that was told um continually for every episode and like oh it was just so masterfully done because we had you know the the present day and the flashbacks that would expand upon the characters and like give them their backstory and stuff and i i love lost to my core i think it's one of the best examples of character-driven storytelling um on television still today even with all the great television we're getting now in in like peak tv with you know, even Breaking Bad or even um, Game of Thrones. Lost is still number one in my heart, and I still think it deserves to be up there with best of television, uh, despite, you know, its controversial ending. Um, Yeah, Lost. I think it was also, like, one of the, like, the first shows in at least my lifetime that was like event watching so like you know the water cooler concept where you would watch the episode and then the next day everyone would be talking about it you'd be like oh did you see like what was revealed down the hatch or um you know i would be reading like eight page recaps just like theorizing (laughs) I, i would read every page of that recap too like it was my favorite thing to do after every episode of lost just like theorizing um what, ha- what was happening in loss, like, and pulling apart every, like, piece of mise-en-scene, like, oh, Sawyer was reading Watership uh, um, Down, Watership Down, um, and, yeah, and, uh, or, like, oh, the lamp here is, like, the same lamp from this one scene, what does it mean, and I was, like, <laughs> I don't know what it means, it probably means something, <laughs> all the nuances, so it, it was definitely a show, the first th- show for me that really got me interested in television in the first place like before then i wasn't really interested in like tv analysis or tv reviews um and Lost was the one that like got me on board and basically realized that television had that capacity for storytelling that movies did essentially and loss is so great guys i miss it
2: yeah i think i think loss was also one of the first shows that used uh flashbacks to mm-hmm. expound upon the story that they're actually trying to tell in the present. I mean, yeah. Before that, I think flashbacks were used mostly just to tell backstory. But mm-hmm. in Lost, the backstory really had bearing on what was happening in the present. That's the, yeah, first, exactly. that's the first time that I remember seeing that. So
1: this codependent. It was um actually drawn... Um, it was influenced by Watchmen, the graphic novel by uh, Alan Moore. Alan Moore, right? Yes. Yeah. yes. Um, so they, they talked about Stephen Lindelof and Carlton Cuse talked about like the the influences they had on Lost, and that was one of them, as well as like um, what's it called? Oh man, i keep forgetting all these titles. Uh, the Last Man, why the Last Man? Oh,
3: why the Last Man?
1: Yeah, why the Last Man? Like that was a big influence on Lost as well, and The Prisoner, for example, like the '70s television show, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it yeah. draws out a lot of a lot of other like story elements from other series, but in its own way. By bringing those all things, all those things together, was really groundbreaking. Okay. Loss <laughs> is <That was> great. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Will we go ahead? So my first one, I'm um, just gonna go in chronological order. Uh, I'll talk about the first one first. Uh, the Dark Knight by Christopher Nolan, um, his mm. classic, seminal superhero crime thriller movie. Um, I think it really presented us with a firm. He he like really knew what he was doing with the superhero genre, subverting it when he needed to, talking like talking about what heroism meant. Like it was the real first like there had been plenty of superhero movies before the Dark Knight, but I feel like it definitely took the superhero genre to an elevated level that I think that since then we've kind of we've we've all elevated superhero movies to some other than just popcorn films. I feel like we've we analyzed them, we break them down, we talk about what they mean all the time um and i think the dark knight was was a great influence on that another influence they had was that had was that turned the best picture uh list in from 5 to up to 10 um mm-hmm. after the backlash of it not receiving a best picture nomination a lot of folks uh said we don't want just 5 anymore so now they can do up to 10 to allow more genre um films although they haven't really been doing that. Um, I think the most recent, I mean, most recently we've had a rival in Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. But as far as I can remember, I mean, did inception get a best picture nomination? I can't remember. I don't think
1: it did. Oh, did
3: it? It did. Okay. (laughs) Oh, it did. Okay. Um, so everyone's like, they, they kind of give like one genre pick a, a slot in the, in the best picture now. Um, and i think the dark knight has had a lot of influence over the oscars and superhero films since then uh we just had logan which i believe is another great superhero superhero film um with that that stands among the rank of the dark knight in terms of great storytelling for superheroes um and yeah i just i i love how much of a just like an act like just well-paced movie it is and it takes on the Batman mythos and uh, and you know what it means to be Batman you know and just does a really great job of elevating you know making making Gotham real but also simultaneously very very like um high high escalation of of drama right so yeah the Dark Knight okay
2: all right well my first one is uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine you know which we mentioned a few minutes ago and I know uh, Hi Chan, you said that lost is what really started, uh, serialized television. But I think that deep space nine kind of set a precedent that led to that because I think that deep space nine kind of started the ongoing storyline that we're used to today, even though they had, they would do two or three episodes that were, uh, episodic. And then they would have four or five that were really, you know, more of the ongoing type storyline. Um, if you missed last week and you came back and, and watched, uh, this week on most shows, you wouldn't really miss anything, but with deep space nine, you weren't guaranteed that. And then, you know, it kind of led into the X-Files kind of did the same thing. And, um, they still had episodic elements. They didn't go completely soap opera because they, they knew that we weren't quite ready for that. That wouldn't come about until DVRs really started, <laughs> started coming out. and uh, To add to it, it's kind of cheating, but another show that compounds the point, uh, 24 took that model and really took the next step forward because we were at the dawn of the DVR when 24 started, and it was the first really binge-worthy TV show um, because absolutely none of it was episodic. Every installment picked up where the last one left off, so you had to watch them all and you had to watch them in order to get the complete story. So, so yeah, Deep Space Nine is my first one. So, John, go ahead with your second one.
0: Uh, actually, I'm going to cheat a little bit too, um, <laughs> because my next pick was in fact lost okay. for <laughs> all the same reasons that HT uh, already mentioned. And I would also add, um, it it made the viewer step up their game. Like you couldn't just you couldn't just watch. I mean, you could. But you're like missing half of the show if all you did was watch it, and then wait until the next. Like, it was the first show that I've ever seen, and really one of the only ones to this day that I've ever seen that would put like hidden messages in the show. Like, like you like you said, like the advent of the DVR. Yeah, you would have to like rewind. Was like, wait, wait, was that the number? Was that a, look, look, that was the number. <laughs> yeah. over there. Like, so you so you're looking for like the little numbers everywhere, looking for little symbols everywhere. You're looking for clues. You know it. it it's it's like we would go to the website, and like they would have like special revealed information if you if you could like solve the puzzle. It like it was very, it was surprisingly interactive, for you know just a television show. Mm-hmm. And um, it was it was simultaneously serial and yet non-linear, which was an amazing accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned Carlton Cuse uh, is a flashback. Carlton Cuse also was one of the creators of Briscoe County jr.
1: Was he? Oh, he wow.
0: was, he was. How
1: old is he? I thought he was pretty young. He's I nine. I think <laughs> <laughs> he's just right.
0: super duper prodigy. He's so smart. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. I, and I would also, um, so the, I'm kind of cheating, but cause I'm going to m- m- harken back to the matrix. Also, it was like action movies the they were either like, especially sci-fi movies, they were either like smart and boring, or they were like, action. They were like good action movie, but they were, you know, they were pretty lame on plot. They were kind of dumb, and The Matrix was kind of the first movie, at least the, one, the first one I remember that did both. Um, so yeah, and I, and I feel like that that kind of influences a lot of the other. I mean, not directly necessarily, but a that that kind of vein of being smart action sounds like it's it's a running theme in a lot of the other shows that we're talking about too yeah uh so with that i pass the baton okay.
2: will be? i think oh, my turn? i think i think high next yeah no i'm sorry cool. <laughs> you went the wrong way <laughs>
1: Um, it's
0: confusing in the non
2: physical space.
1: <laughs> um so my next one hold on, I had my list and I feel
3: like we're in Legion place. right now. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the last one yet,
1: do no, no, Who knows? No. Who knows where it's gonna be? All right. Um my next game changer, it's not as pivotal as Lost would be, but I feel like this was a game changer for kind of a generational thing again. Um it's Friends. The sitcom.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm familiar with it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So this was another, this was kind of, this could have fallen in like my pop culture things that were influential for me, like in the first category. But I think it's a game changer in that it brought about, maybe I should have switched this with Lord of the Rings. Oh, well. Friends is really influential and it was a great sitcom that really defined our generation and also uh, taught us about sex. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a weird <laughs> thing to watch when you're like eight years old. You're like, Why are they talking about all these things? Um but you it call also it
0: mm. Friends with benefits.
1: Ah. <laughs> but it started off um the whole sort of uh friends found family sort of sitcom. Because I think before that you didn't have a lot of sitcoms that were just um like a bunch of young uh professionals who didn't really have like an Elder figure, or someone like a, a curmudgeonly neighbor, or something like that. Like <laughs> I think every like situation comedy, like a three-camera sitcom, had that sort of dynamic. But this was the first one that didn't really like, apart from Seinfeld, I think, which came, which came around, around the same time. But um, uh, yeah, Friends was a uh, was really influential and started off a whole spate of similarly themed Friends type sitcoms that are still continuing today. Like you see it in new girl for example um and um even some like workplace comedies like parks and rec has similar vibe as well um and like of course how how met your mother which was another um big one for our generation as well and to interject
3: the uh the uh short-lived happy endings Mm. right which even referenced friends in the show they all pointed out who each other were in as characters in friends
1: that's amazing i never watched happy endings Confession. Oh, it's so good it's on oh, hulu
3: that was so
1: many it. shows guys i have so many shows
2: i feel you i know it's only three <laughs> seasons <laughs> It's only. Three i know seasons.
1: it got canceled and everyone's really sad about it and i should yeah. watch it um yeah i still love friends and like now that it's gained a second life on netflix i can just go back and rewatch it i actually bonded with um one of my college friends through friends Uh, That's kind of weird to say. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, My best friend, Rebecca, who I also who I bonded with through Buffy as well. We would watch Friends reruns late at night. And I got really upset one time because they were doing like this whole marathon and it was leading up to Monica and Chandler's wedding. And then they skipped the wedding and I started like yelling at the TV and she was very (laughs) amused by it. (laughs) Yeah. Friends is great. I think it's a game changer. It's a little bit more frothy than our other picks, but
2: no, no, it that's cool. a yeah,
1: that's big cool. impact, yeah.
3: All right, Will, be go ahead with your next one. Uh, my next one is James Cameron's Avatar. Um, mm. While we're not all speaking the Navi language in its cultural <laughs> relevance, uh, like we, like we, like a lot of people do with Klingon, um, I do think that Avatars had a major shift on how we view movies and i'm of course speaking of the three dimensions um since avatar almost every action film has been converted or filmed in 3d and they release it in 3d and imax 3d and it i mean for a while there it seemed like every movie whether it needed it or not was being converted into 3d um i saw clash of the titans in 3d um (laughs) and it was not good i mean the movie is not good but 3d wasn't good either and like i saw i mean i love all the harry potter movies i saw the the eighth one in 3d and it was so unnecessary and so dark because the movie itself was already so dark so like avatar was great because they filmed it in 3d and they did a great job of of re- of knowing they were in 3d like it was very bright it was b- brightly lit you had all the bioluminescent animals and plants and you know, James Cameron knew what he was doing. And then you get people who are like cashing in on this trend, making 3d movies. Um, and I think that for, for, for greater or for worse, um, the avatars had an impact on the theater. Um, I think most recently I saw Dr. Strange in 3d. And I think that was a very good decision to, because I think that movie very bet very greatly benefits from, the the third dimension you know as they go into other dimensions too um i think the visuals were so striking in 3d i you know i I was fully invested in in the visual aspects of the movie um so i think that avatar has had uh, a societal impact in the way i think it wasn't really expecting to Mm. Okay.
2: Yeah. I yeah. I agree with all that. Yeah. Uh, 3D is one of those things that uh, there's a big difference between filmed in and 3D and uh, post post uh, production conversion into 3D. Oh yeah. Because uh, I haven't seen one that 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 really needed the 3D since I saw Avatar. So I stopped going to 3D movies just because I felt like I was wasting my money, and I probably won't go see another 3D movie until Avatar two comes out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, in 2022. Right. Exactly. So.
1: Yeah, okay. I'm still not completely sold on 3D yet just cuz I don't like how the glasses darken the entire screen. Yeah. Um no matter what like the actual film is it's, or like how great the experience is, it's just like it detracts too much for me.
3: Yeah.
1: No, I see
2: that.
3: I get that. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, well, my next one this is this is a deep dive, but I think that a gr- a true uh game changer in TV was Hill Street Blues. Um this was yep this was the first show that I remember that had a large ensemble cast that mixed the drama of whatever job it was that they centered the show around. In this case, it was uh, police officers uh, with various storylines between all the characters. So modern shows like Grey's Anatomy and Chicago Fire and some of the older ones like ER and NYPD Blue, they owe what they are to Hill Street Blues because before that, a cop show was just cop stories and medical shows were just medicine this was the first one to be a drama about a bunch of characters that just happened to be cops and how their jobs affect their personal lives and so forth so hill street blues truly changed the face of modern television and i can tell by the silence that you guys probably never even heard of it
3: (laughs) i've heard the title never seen an episode
2: okay I will I will completely uh vouch for everything you just said. Okay. <laughs> I've seen I've
0: seen like one episode, but I know you're right. Like um it, it was the first cop show to, you know, focus on the cops as people and not just cops.
2: Yeah. It was one of those shows that my parents watched every week and I was forced to either sit there and watch it or go to my room. So I usually sat there and watched it. So uh <laughs> Okay, so, uh, John, go ahead with your last... Batman, the Animated Series. um, (gasps) Excellent choice.
1: Amazing. Uh,
0: Completely defined, again, to this day, what the WB animation style looks like. Like, this one show spawned... It it influenced every other show that's, you know, even remotely related to it. Um, And the writing, it took the stories... Seriously. It wasn't written like a kid's show. It wasn't written like a Saturday morning cartoon. Like it 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 told like really good emotional stories. Um it used celebrities as voices. I think it was the first at least it was the first one that I remember doing that. You'd like like you'd see the credits, like, oh, I didn't actually know that actor. And they weren't just cartoon voice actors. And it was also the first cartoon that I saw that had uh again, continuing storylines. The first episode I ever saw, it ended with to be continued. I'm like, What? are you kidding me (laughs) what do you mean to be continued you're a 30-minute cartoon um yeah it was it was it was shockingly mature for a a you know a daily kid show and it completely changed the game.
1: it was quite scary i remember watching it when i was a kid and being scared um and (laughs) and thinking batman was a villain because i would actually watch superman the animated series first and I huh. did not know who Batman was. And I was like, "Who was the scary guy in a black mask?
2: He's a vampire. <laughs> yeah. That's what he wants you to think. Right, it's exactly. H-T. All right, go ahead, HT.
1: Um, so my last one is kind of a category, but um, it's the Disney Renaissance that was spawned by um, the Little Mermaid back in 1989 and continued um, through the 2000s with the last one, I think, being... Um, Tarzan? Yes, Tarzan. It kind of continued with, like, Mulan, Hercules, and Tarzan, and then, like, ended after they moved on to computer-generated animation and uh, just some bad animated, like, (laughs) hand-drawn animated movies, like, um, Down on the Range. That was the worst one, apparently, and, like, it almost killed uh, 2D animation. Actually, no, actually, it did kill 2D animation in Disney um, because it did so badly at the box office. They decided that 2D animation um, hand-drawn animation was not a good investment, so they invested only in CGI, uh, which is, makes me really sad still because you can do so much with hand-drawn animation. Um, yes, the Disney Renaissance in uh, was kind of the slate of movies uh, from the late 80s to 90s, uh, which... I grew up on, um, they're like Little Mermaid, uh, Aladdin, Lion King, Mulan, um, Beauty and the Beast, um, like, like I said, Tarzan and Hercules, I think those were the main ones, um, yeah. and it was, uh, the, the kind of renaissance for Disney that brought back, uh, animation as, like, its biggest strength. Uh, before then, it kind of had most of its money in like the theme parks and stuff, and it was it was on like a dy- downward spiral for animation because the last good animated movie it had made was um, I think like Cinderella in the sixties. I can't exactly say, but yeah, they hadn't made a good animated film in like thirty something years, um, and they were actually the animated studio was on the verge of bankruptcy. If you want to know. The whole story behind it. Watch um, *Waking Sleeping Beauty*. It's a great documentary on the Disney Renaissance and um, their whole animated division and everything like that. It's what made me love the movies that I grew up with so much more than I did already. Like I rewatched them to death, and like my VHS copies are all mangled and stuff like that because I I watched them so much. Um, and they're a huge influence on me in my childhood. And I think that like there hasn't been any AID movies. Well, they're starting to do good animated movies again, but it, it it was the one the it was the age in which anime movies started being taken seriously. Um, Beauty and the Beast, for example, was uh, nominated for Best Picture and basically created the Best Animated Feature category because people were upset that an animated movie was nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. And they're just like, oh, OK, so we'll just create this whole category so it won't happen again. Too Late happened again, Um, and now Pixar dominates that and gets nominated for Best Picture almost every year. But, you know, Disney movies are great, and uh, it was a real game-changer in terms of animation and making animation get taken seriously. And now it's influencing all the live-action adaptations of it, which I have mixed feelings about, but I will see them anyways because I grew up with them. Did you take a breath at all in that? No, she didn't. I did, actually. I feel like I did. That's
0: scary and impressive. (laughs) <laughs> All
1: right. I'm not out of breath, so you know I have good I have good breathing control. I'll just say that.
3: Right. <laughs> okay, Willoughby, go go ahead. Um, I've my last one is uh, Netflix's House of Cards. I think it really uh, took the streaming of television shows, original programming of television shows, to a whole other level. Um, it, it introduced the world to the word binge, but not in a um, eating disorder way or a alcoholic way um binging now meant to watch TV for hours on end and House of cards really introduced that um you know they 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 were the they upended the format of releasing everything week by week by releasing it all at once you know the entire season um because that's how they would you know do their when they um, acquired new TV shows uh to show they wouldn't release them like re- they wouldn't re-release them by an episode they would do it all at once so they did that with their original programming too and i found that I mean, they had done that with the rest of development season four but i think critically that was mixed but house of cards was their first fully original um uh program that was critically acclaimed that you know has been nominated for emmys kevin spacey has won an emmy um every show I, you know that Hulu has original programming. Amazon has original programming. Yahoo had original programming for a little bit with Yahoo Screen and Community, um, and you know every 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 platform that can stream video now has their own original content, like YouTube even. Um, so I think that House of Cards really kind of struck a nerve with the American public and the and the world, and said like, listen, you know, we can do, we don't have to abide by cable or network we can do online and you know once once these shows started getting a a prestige awards and nominations i think that's really when people were starting to take this more the streaming uh tvs streaming television shows more seriously Um, and i think it all started with house of cards yeah okay
2: nice all right well my last one is the sopranos and uh, I'm a guy that loves uh, mafia movies and, and, and TV shows. But the the reason I think it's a game changer is that the, the main character of the show is the bad guy. You know, Tony Soprano is not a good man. He's a gangster. He's a murderer, thief, cheats on his wife. He's a liar. But he's the character that is chosen for us to follow. And this is the kind of storytelling that it wasn't really done before this that I'm aware of. But at least from a weekly TV show standpoint. But... And it was kind of risky at the time. But by doing this, they were able to humanize this bad guy and show that nobody is really 100% good or 100% bad. Tony has a good side. He has a heart. He has love for some people. He has loyalty. And uh, by focusing on an anti-hero in this way, it paved the way for other shows that would eventually focus on characters that might not have their moral center in the right place, like Dexter and Breaking Bad. Uh, were shows about guys that did really bad things, but they had reasons for doing them for doing those things that they thought made them okay so you know i'm in the midst of watching the final season of bates motel which i think definitely owes its existence to the sprantos because of that reason norman's not a good guy but we sympathize with him and that's what tony was so okay so this is the part of the show where we do a segment that's 100 percent from the millennial falcon which is called i really 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 like you
1: I really, 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 really,
3: really like you someday. I am the father I really, 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 really like
2: you That's not true That's
3: impossible I said you didn't know what you did No It is your destiny
2: so um I will start and this week will it be my my really like is House of Cards. So nice. uh, <laughs> I didn't I um don't say anything because I just started season 3. I I I did, I didn't start watching the show when it originally surfaced on Netflix back in 2013. I started it I started watching it about a month ago and I've blown through the first two seasons and the show is really good. I've always been a Kevin Spacey fan. I like him in just about everything he comes out with, even K-Pax. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Robin Wright is excellent. Really, the whole cast is fantastic, and the show just sticks with you. I know um, a lot of people don't like that Spacey breaks the fourth wall. I happen to like really like that. I think. That oh, I has, love it. Yeah, he has a kind of wit and one-liners that are that's something that Spacey's really good at, and I think those asides to the audience really gives him a chance to showcase that. So, John, what's your really like?
0: Uh, Previously mentioned by Willoughby, it's Legion. Um, I have not seen the latest episode. I I haven't seen this week's, but um, you know, I I think I, I probably saw the first episode a couple of days after it aired. It was on my DVR. And I was blown away. It is so good. It's so good. And like when you watch the credits, you see the people behind it who are like, you know, veterans in in comic books and, and film and comic book films and, and you're like oh okay that's how you did this and it, and it really and i got posted on facebook like it made me mad that superhero films like big big budget superhero movies were so much worse than this show like you have no excuse legion is fantastic ht <laughs> have you watched it yet
1: i have i'm all caught up except the last episode Although right. I'm I like Legion although I feel like it's kind of throwing a bunch of things at the screen and hoping things will stick. I don't know. I have like mixed feelings about it cuz I really like it and I think it's really groundbreaking but at the same time you don't
0: really 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 like it.
1: I don't really really like. It. I mean, I think <laughs> it's like I think it's good. I think it has a lot of potential. I just think that it's getting a little too caught up in its own prestige label. Right. So we'll see. It's a little convoluted, is what well, I'll say. All right.
0: So what's, what's your you really like?
1: My really like is it's Buffy's twentieth anniversary. The one I one of my favorite shows aside from Lost is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It is a show from ninety seven nineteen ninety seven. That's sorry, nineteen ninety seven. Um. Uh, by created by Joss Whedon, starring Sarah Michelle Gellar as the titular Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, and it's a really great science fiction coming-of-age uh, high school, but kind of becomes college and then adulthood show, um, about this girl who is the chosen one, and he's, she's destined to slay the vampires and demons and um, do that for the rest of her life. And it's really... Great subversive and funny, uh, chemical uh, comical uh, show. I was going to say campy, but then I ended up saying comical. Um, that should be a word.
3: Yeah, you just came <laughs> up with a new word.
1: <laughs> I coined it, by the way. Coined by Hai Chen. Um, about and like it kind of takes this whole idea of fighting demons and vampires and making that uh, a metaphor by fighting like your own personal demons or of um of kind of growing up and dealing with angst and adulthood and um teenage dumb so it's a it's a really great show and i i love it a lot i can, i can't summarize in those few words how great a show it is um if you do want to know read all the great essays and personal um and like our pieces that will definitely be coming out tomorrow uh, about Buffy and why it's so influential and amazing so yeah I'm really happy that it's reaching its 20th anniversary uh and I am very excited about all the content and articles that are coming out because of it
3: and it's all on, like, streaming services like Netflix and Hulu.
1: It's all on Netflix and Hulu, although I heard it's actually being taken off of Netflix soon. Oh, no. Um, I know. I mean, it's all it's still on Hulu in its original format, too, because Netflix recently put up the remastered version, which is terrible. Like, they did a terrible remaster of it. They attempted to uh, change it to the widescreen format instead of the 4x3 in which it was originally shot. But in doing so, they either like cut off a lot of the screen, or they like widened it so that you can see basically like cameras or crew members, and it it and like they also lightened a lot of the shots as well, which ruins a lot of nighttime scenes. So it's it's terribly done, and it looks very soapy and not, not and more like a set than it did before, which is kind of amazing because it's not like the most you know gritty, cinematically shot show. It's just but it, they made it look worse somehow. Hulu still has the original version, but um, buy it on DVD if you can.
3: I'm guessing Joss Whedon didn't approve the high-definition conversion. He did not.
1: He was very um, upset when Netflix put up the remastered version.
2: Okay. Willoughby, what's you really like?
3: Uh, something I finished seconds before we started recording, which is um, Dave Eggers' book The Circle – um, it's being made into a movie with Tom Hanks and Emma Watson and John Boyega. And I love this book. I think it's a Black Mirror episode told over, like, uh, like a whole book. Uh, it's so wonderfully done and well-paced and such a thriller. Just a little bit of background on, on it, um, you know, without going into spoilers. It's basically like if um, – all the social media websites went away and there was just one social media website that was also like an Apple company, like some Silicon Valley type. And they basically had control over all the internet. 90% of the internet goes through this social media site um, and the, basically the dangers that come with that, with you know privacy, right, rights to privacy, and um, the fact that you kind of have – it's kind of like – did you guys watch Black Mirror? Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: So did you watch the most recent season? Yeah.
2: Most of it, most of it,
3: yeah. Um, so did, you saw the one directed by Joe Wright with uh, Bryce Dallas Howard? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. very much in line with that, where it's almost like everyone rates each other, and you know, everyone talks to each other through their social media feeds, and like, if you don't respond back immediately, people think they hate you, and it's like, it's really, it's, I mean, it's, it's, um it's a bit of a satire but also a bit of like a 1984 type like warning about the about what can happen with um such a monopoly on the internet um and social media and information and so I really love it I'm excited for the movie because it has a lot of my favorite people in the in it it's got Karen Gillan it's got Emma Watson Tom Hanks John Boyega Patton Oswalt so like it's got a great cast and the the book is great, so I'm I'm excited for the movie. Um so yeah, The Circle by Dave Eggers.
2: Okay. Yeah, I've heard of the movie. I think I think Bill Paxton is in that movie. I think it's his last his last role other than uh other than training day, of course. But
3: um, Yeah, I think yeah, he plays he plays Emma Watson's dad.
2: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, this was a fun episode. <laughs> and, I had a lot of fun. And, yeah. And, as I said, uh, if you're listening to this on the Millennial Falcon feed, I would like to invite you to check out our show, Cosmic Potato. You can uh, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict on the Android Store, as well as our website at CosmicPotato.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter. You can email us at mail at cosmicpotato If you're listening to this episode on the Cosmic Potato feed, Willoughby, do you want to tell your audience where? Do you want to tell our audience where they can find you guys and how they can t- contact
3: you? Yeah, you can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Um, our website is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com where we post all of our episodes um, in WordPress blog format. Um, we're also on SoundCloud where you can, uh, and we're also on iTunes and Google Play where you can rate, review, and subscribe to us there. Um, and uh, we also have personal Twitter accounts. Uh, I'm at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter.
1: Yeah, and I'm at H on Twitter.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm. And we
2: are at Cosmic Potato Pod, I believe. <laughs> um Alright. Well Willoughby, thanks for being here. I appreciate it.
3: No problem. I love I love being on this.
2: Awesome. And uh Hi Chan, as always.
1: Thank you. I think this crossover lives up to the hype.
2: <laughs> you think so? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and uh and, and John pleasure as always, sir word and uh thanks to you guys for listening and be sure to join us on the next crossover event when you might hear john say
0: all right so i wanted to do a haiku in honor of our special guests <clears throat> unfortunately too many syllables are in millennial <laughs> <laughs>